Bring it in. The read option back with you here after an unbelievable weekend in college football. And to put it bluntly, probably the worst weekend that we've had in the NFL so far to this point. We got lots to get into. College football not only was insane for what rivalry weekend, right? The games themselves, the three biggest games you could argue were all spectacular the nfl we still have no idea who's good and we're gonna do a little bit different of an episode today because of that because it just doesn't it doesn't make sense to just keep going through each of the games and breaking down individual plays here and there it because nobody knows anything about the nfl so we're gonna get into all of that we're gonna we're gonna go through the teams who you trust who's actually good and why parody in the NFL is not quite as great as parody in college football, because that's what we've had in college football. We've had parody. We've also had arguably the most entertaining season in a long time for college football. I am solo once again today. Uh, the boys are busy doing their things, not sure when they're going to come back. Hopefully at some point, uh, I enjoy doing these solo pods. I hope you guys do as well. You can always reach out, listen to what you think on Twitter, uh, social media, all that good stuff. I've said it a million times, but if you're new at Jeff underscore Gimple, um, if you have your thoughts, we also, uh, I'm curious if you guys are interested, this is probably the number one podcasting cliche of all time, but I think it'd be fun to do a mailbag. So if you're interested let me know on social media we have an email set up that you guys can submit questions to if you have thoughts on college football nfl nba anything uh or or if you have random life stuff as well we'd love to uh to get some of those uh believe the email address is readoptionpod at gmail.com i will double check that uh before i tweet it out but again would love any and all uh, questions to be sent our way because I, I want to be able to interact with you guys. It's it's the, the few times I've gotten to do it, the few interaction I have, it's always one of my favorite things. So the more of that, the merrier. So I want to start off the pod today. And, and we, I am going to go through the college football games because again, rivalry week did not disappoint. I talked about on Friday's pod. I was really excited for this weekend. I thought there was potential to be some crazy games. I'd said through most of the year that I wouldn't be surprised if this was the year that Jim Harbaugh and Michigan upset Ohio State. And then what happened when it came time for me to pick the games? I chickened out. All right. I chickened out. I saw the Buckeye logo. I, I saw CJ Stroud throw for five touchdowns, six touchdowns in the first half. And I said, I can't do it. I can't do it. We've only ever seen Michigan under Jim Harbaugh and, by the way, the last three coaches before him lose against Ohio State with the exception of one year. And we, they've had one win before this year 
essentially in the last 20 years. But not this weekend, not this week, not this year. Jim Harbaugh went back and restructured his contract. He cut his pay in half. When he got hired and he was getting it, he got his first extension, and everyone's talking about they're paying him all this money. But in, in Ann Arbor, it, you can win 10 games every year, but if you lose to Ohio State, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter at all. And Jim Harbaugh talked so much trash early on. And he was sleeping over recruits' houses. And he was taking his players to the Vatican. He was going all over the place, showing them Rome, showing them the world, right? He was so eccentric. And what I loved about what he did this year, because I've always believed Jim Harbaugh can coach. I believe his personality kind of wears some people out, right? And so in the NFL, when you might have eight to 10-year relationships with your most key players, it's going to wear on some guys, and it wore on guys when he was in San Francisco. But this Michigan job, you got new kids coming in every four or five years, max. Not going to be wearing out. I mean, you'll wear out some people, right, especially in this era now with the transfer portal. But he said, look, I haven't accomplished what I need to here at this school, at this university, at his alma mater, the dream job for Jim Harbaugh. He hadn't accomplished what he felt he needed to accomplish. And so he overhauled his entire staff, brought in a new defensive coordinator, moved on from a a pretty legendary defensive coordinator in Don Brown, brought back Mike Hart, Mike Hart running back for the University of Michigan back in early, mid-2000s. I remember when Mike Hart was there, and now he's the running back coach, running and coaching up Hassan Haskins who put on an absolute show on Saturday. He used the money that he wasn't going to get. He said, give me up to almost $4 million in incentives. I will will prove to you, put the carrot on the end of the stick. You don't believe me? Fine. I'll dangle out in front of myself. We're going to redo this program. We're going to build it from the ground up. And I heard so many times throughout this year that this year felt different. The talent wasn't as talented as the most you know, loaded roster that Jim Harbaugh had had since being at Michigan. Wasn't the best quarterback. Probably wasn't even the best defense. But the culture, that buzzword that we all love to throw around when it comes to football, was different. The belief was there, that Ted Lasso shit. He believed in believe. And what they did on Saturday, the culmination of all of this, right? I mean, they were kind of getting looked over through most of the season. They only won by four against Penn State. Hard-fought games left and right. And what he inevitably did on Saturday and the building up to this, this, this moment in the big house was as spectacular of a display as anything I've ever seen in college football. Now, granted, my life has not, the majority of my life has not been spent as a big-time college football fan. But I've been following Jim Harbaugh. I've always liked Jim Harbaugh. 
out of the Big Ten schools, at least the big three, four in the Big in the Big Ten, especially the Big Ten East, I've always kind of liked Michigan the most. I loved the helmets when I was a kid. What can I say? And Michigan finally got over the hurdle on Saturday in the snow in what was an unbelievable setting. It was spectacular. And everything about this weekend, the Alabama-Auburn game, the Oklahoma-Oklahoma State game, this is why we love college football. This is why people go insane over it. And you could, you could feel it. You could feel it through the TV in every single one of those games, Oklahoma-Oklahoma State, the Iron Bowl, Alabama-Auburn, and the Michigan-Ohio State games. I'm sitting – in Chalfont, Pennsylvania, hundreds, if not thousands, thousands of miles away from where these games are being played. And I felt every second of it through the TV. The chaos that's been this year. And you know what? Andy Staples put it well. This year hasn't been chaos, but it's been chaotic. All right, chaos is everything that could possibly go crazy would have gone crazy and it's been close at times but chaotic is the perfect word for this year it was spectacular saturday if you're a football fan and you can sit down and watch you can just watch one of those games but i'd make the argument that those three games ohio state michigan alabama auburn oklahoma oklahoma state all three of them are three of the top five games of the year. And you had them back to back to back. One at 12, one at 3.30, one at 7.30. What a day of football. Now, Michigan, 11-1, and one, Ohio State, 10-2. and two, Ohio State's out. See you later, Buckeyes. You're going to be back. We all know it. Brian Day's not going to take this lightly. This rivalry has more bad blood in it than any, anything else, <laughs> you know, any other rivalry, no matter how much I might hate the Cowboys, it's not this same level of hate. So Ohio State's going to be back. We know that. But now Michigan probably going to come in at number two in the college football playoff rankings this week. Alabama barely got by, by the skin of their teeth against Auburn and the most unsung hero in this whole game is Will Anderson, the linebacker for Alabama who chased down Tank Bigsby. And Tank's big, Tank Bigsby tried to stay in bounds, right? We're, we're, we got three minutes. I'm sorry, not three minutes. We got third down. And I believe it was about a minute 40 left in the game. Tank Bigsby tried to stay in bounds, and he was pulled out of bounds by Will Anderson, flying across the field, making an unbelievable play. Stops the clock, saves Alabama 40 seconds. At this point, it really felt like Auburn's going to win this football game. Ohio State, Alabama both go down in the same day. Alabama found a way, stops the clock, get the ball back. And there was an amazing moment. It was fourth and 10. 
for Alabama as they're charging down the field, trying to tie the game up. They're on their own. They're on just about the 50 yard line, a little bit into Auburn territory. It's fourth and 10, and there's 48 seconds left. If, Tank's, if Tank Bigsby stays in bounds, game's over, right? It, it's a Hail Mary from that point for Alabama. And maybe something miraculous happens, right? But because Tank Bigsby got pulled out of bounds, because it stopped the clock, now all of a sudden they're at the 50-yard line after going – remember, this, that drive started, by the way, on their own two. So they got to go 98 yards to win this football game. Fourth and 10, Braysong steps up, makes an unbelievable throw, picks up the first down, gets out of bounds. And then the throw, the Bryce Young throw with, I think, maybe 30, 20 to 30 seconds left on the clock. I don't have the exact time. Unbelievable throw. And no, Bryce Young probably isn't the Heisman in terms of the best player in college football this year. That's a whole nother debate, right? We're going to be talking about who, in my opinion, a defensive player should win. But that's not how it works, unfortunately. And with that throw and that drive and then going down and winning the game in four overtimes, Bryce Young probably just won himself the Heisman. Unless, of course, Georgia beats the absolute shit out of them next week, which is honestly very possible. And so we have all of this incredible stuff going on. The Oklahoma-Oklahoma State game is called Bedlam. Bedlam doesn't even do it justice. In the second half alone, we had a safety. We had two muffed punts. We had a kick return for a touchdown. We had a 54-yard scramble with zero timeouts from Caleb Williams to get his team all the way down with about 30 seconds left to the Oklahoma State 25 to give them a chance to actually somehow ripped the hearts out of Oklahoma State and the game ended with a guy army crawling after getting blocked to the ground and grabbing Caleb Williams ankle on fourth down on their last chance to sack him to close out the game that was the best football game out of all of the games that game was electric and I'm so glad that the team that had been far better all year won in Oklahoma State and so we compile this, Ohio State and Michigan, unbelievable. The scene in Ann Arbor, the fans storming the field, the snow, all of it, unbelievable. Auburn, Alabama, four overtimes. First Iron Bowl to ever go into, the, into overtime because overtime wasn't implemented in college football until 1996. And Alabama barely squeaks by. And if they lose to Georgia, the two-loss Alabama making the playoff argument is dead because you cannot – Almost lose to Alabama, uh, lose to Auburn, go to four overtimes against TJ Finley when for the last quarter and a half, plus all of the overtimes, TJ Finley was literally on one foot. Alabama, you lose to Georgia, season's over. They still found a way to win. It was still electric. And then you have Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. The most bedlam-y bedlam game we've seen in a long Long time. And it's just, it's unbelievable. I'm sitting there at the end. I was working our overtime show. I'm doing the post game stuff. 
And I'm just sitting there thinking, oh, my God, what a day. Right, because even the Texas Tech-Baylor game was awesome. Penn State-Michigan State was a really good game. BYU-USC late at night was good. LSU in Coach O's last game upsets Texas A&M. We got Wake Forest and Pitt playing in the ACC championship game. Who the hell had that on the ballot preseason? Nobody. Notre Dame beating the snot out of Stanford, Georgia, shutting out a team for the third time this year in Georgia Tech and their big rivalry. I mean, my God, this day was incredible. And then Sunday came. I know you're probably thinking, oh, you're going to dump on the NFL, right? Time to suck. No. Lincoln Riley is going to USC. He's leaving Oklahoma. He's going to USC. Nobody had that. There was some rum. There was a lot of talk and a lot of chatter, a lot of rumblings in Oklahoma about him going to LSU. And in his post game press conference, he was abundantly clear. He said, I am not taking the LSU job. I will not be the head coach at LSU. Well, the man wasn't lying. <laughs> if anything, it's a hell of a tip around. He's tiptoeing. Dancing on the side. I mean, what a what a dodge. Wordsmith, regular wordsmith from Lincoln Riley. But he is going to USC, which I think is a fantastic move for all parties. Obviously, not for Oklahoma. It sucks. You, you're losing one of the top three or four coaches in college football. But for USC, I mean, what a home run. You know. Pretty much every, not every, but a lot of the top-tier quarterbacks right now in college football are from California, and none of them stayed. DJ Uyunglele, California. Bryce Young, California. Matt Corral, California. It's a, it's a hotbed of quarterback talent. There are families who literally will move to California to work and, and go to certain uh, – for their kids to work with certain quarterback coaches, to go play high school football out there because it's an awesome place to be able to go out and play college football. So for Lincoln Riley to be out there, right, and meanwhile, all of these quarterbacks coming from the West Coast, going to Alabama, going to Clemson, well, they got an option right at home. You want to be a part of making USC cool again? Because it's, it's been almost 20 years. It's been almost 20 years since Pete Carroll did what he did at USC. Since Matt Leiner and Reggie Bush and Lendale White. And at the time, USC was the talk of the town. If you haven't seen the 30 for 30 on that USC era, go watch it. Because like the Lakers didn't even get some of the celebrity turnouts that USC games were getting. You're talking about everybody, right? From, from Snoop, Will Ferrell, Jack Nicholas, you know, or Jack Nicholson. Everybody wanted to go be there. It was the it place to be. Pete Diddy's on the sideline. It was 
the coolest place in all of college football. It was one of the coolest places in all of sports. And I'm not saying that Lincoln Riley is going to come in and all of a sudden make USC that again. But for as well as that guy's recruited, he can go say, hey, you remember uh, Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray? Remember Jalen Hurts, all three of them. Two of them won the Heisman. The other one came in second. Caleb Williams. Caleb Williams started week one. He's probably in the conversation for the Heisman this year. What quarterback, especially if you're coming from the West Coast, isn't going to want to come and play for that? And so, again, you're saying, all right, Jeff, well, you, you hiked up all this college football stuff, and then you threw a butt in there. And you said, yeah, but Sunday happened. What kills me about what happened on Sunday is the reaction to this. Okay, college football fans, particularly those at elite universities, are significantly worse than those who have not tasted, sniffed, been around winning. Alabama fans obnoxious Ohio State fans I've said forever are the worst I at least have some sympathy for Penn State fans even though I don't always get along with them because they haven't won shit I feel that that sucks so I can at least empathize with them when Ohio State fans complain when I saw Ohio State fans being nasty this weekend after they lost to Michigan it it physically makes me mad Clemson fans, believe it or not, you think dabble, little old Clemson. No, I talked to a bartender not that long ago who used to live in Clemson and moved up to Virginia and isn't a Clemson fan, Ohio State fan. And she said, far and away, bar none, not even remotely close, the worst of all fan bases that she's interacted with. And again, she worked in Charlottesville and worked in Blacksburg as a bartender. And so when Clemson fans would come up when they'd play Virginia Tech or they'd play UVA. She interacted with them. So they were the worst and the nastiest. I have no doubt that that's true. I've met a couple of Clemson fans that aren't ideal. But the one fan base I always kind of gave respect for was Oklahoma. Because you never really heard a lot about Oklahoma, mainly because no one's really threatened them for 20 years, over 20 years. Bob Stoops got hired in 1998. And since then, won a national championship, win countless Big Ten or Big 12 titles by far. I mean, the we just talked about Bedlam. Mike Gundy, who's basically been at Oklahoma State since he played, he played, he was an assistant, became the head coach. He has been in Stillwater for a long time. He's lost over 20 games. Combined as a player, as an assistant, and as a head coach. The only, in fact, I think he's only won six over the course of 30 to four, 30 to 35 games in total. I don't have the exact record up in front of me, but they flashed it during the game. Oklahoma has had it sweet. And this all comes out. And I work with some Oklahoma people, people I very much like, Dusty Dvorak, one of my favorite hosts, people. He calls games for ESPN. He's on their number two, number three crew. You'll hear him there with Dave Pash, with Tom Luganville on the sidelines. He was throwing a temper tantrum, like legitimate, like a, like a high schooler over this. 
Another one of my guys, Gabe Iker, played in the NFL for a long time, played center at Oklahoma. He was depressed. He, he wanted to go like go get every single menu item at McDonald's and just eat himself back into being, you know, because he's all slimmed and ripped now. He's like, man, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna eat my feelings away here. The inner offensive lineman in him started to come out. What are you talking about? I get it. Lincoln Riley's awesome. And you thought, young coach, he's only 38. We've had him for five years. He's going to be here for a long time. Have you not been paying attention to what college football is? Have you not been paying attention to what college football has become even in the last 20 years? The days of elite coaches staying one place for 15 to 20 years doesn't really exist anymore. One side gets sick of the other one, and then you fuck off and you move on to your next thing, or the NFL comes calling, or another job opens up. I mean, think about Urban Meyer. Urban Meyer could have stayed at Florida forever. He had the health stuff, quote-unquote, and then guess what? Ohio State happens to open up. Yeah, he's going to go to Ohio State. That's what this is. This is a business. Now, I was surprised. I'm not going to sit here and say that, oh, I thought for sure that Lincoln Riley was going to leave this year. I, I didn't think he was going anywhere this year. I didn't think it was impossible, but with how convincing he was shooting down the LSU rumors, I didn't think anyone would want him. But Oklahoma's going to the SEC. And I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, Lincoln Riley doesn't want that smoke. But Lincoln Riley probably doesn't want that smoke. And you know what? I don't blame him. Why the hell would you? You know how hard it's going to be in the SEC now? LSU just finished last in the SEC West. LSU, who, by the way, has probably two first-rounders on their defense right now, has at least one other wide receiver who's going to be drafted within the first two days of the NFL draft. That's what you're going up against. And that's the team that just finished last and then ended the season by beating Texas A&M, who's also the team that beat Alabama this year. So, no, Lincoln Riley probably didn't want to deal with that. Instead, he says, the Pac-12 is open. It's open season. I can go out there. I can beat half of the teams without even having to roll out of bed. Yeah, Oregon up north. Cool. We'll see you in the Pac-12 championship game. Lincoln Riley's not worried about that. Lincoln Riley's going to come in and have the best quarterback recruit in the, the Pac-12 has had probably in the last decade. If it wasn't for Justin Herbert, who grew up in Eugene, Oregon, and decided to stay home, oh, and Mario Cristobal did not use anything that he did well because Mario Cristobal wants to be bully guys up front and run the ball and, and pretend like we're back in 2007. It's so obvious now that it's happened that Lincoln Riley's perfect out there. And again, Oklahoma fans, I get it. Okay, you wanted to have your guy last forever. You wanted him in Norman. You wanted to win a championship with him. You wanted more Heismans. But there is not just one, not just two. There's upwards of almost 10 different bed sheets hung around Oklahoma's campus right now. 
Again, I've, I've seen about eight of different ones on Twitter. All right, so it could be more, could be less, could be some from the different angles. I don't know. I saw eight different pictures of the word traitor painted in red on a bed sheet hung up around different parts of campus. I've seen more obnoxious responses from media people, from fans, from former coaches than I've ever seen. And I'm not even going to talk about stuff that's off the record, stuff that I've been told and, and saw in private conversations. But let me just tell you, people are really upset about this. And what's so ironic is we are a week removed from a Nick Saban rant that went viral that had to do with this exact topic. And so I'm going to play a little bit of that rant for you guys because it's extremely fitting right now from what we've seen to this point with the Oklahoma and Lincoln Riley situation here in the last 24 hours. When I came here, everybody was happy to win a game. All right, now we're not happy to win a game anymore. We're not happy to win a game at all. All right, we think we should win games by whatever. And I don't think that's fair to the players either. All right, because our players work our, their butt off right, to be the best that they can be. Right, and to get criticized for what they work hard for to do so that you can be entertained. Right, so that you can enjoy and have pride and passion for what they accomplish and what they do. And they're not perfect. Right, they're just college students. They're going to co- they go to school every day. They got to study. Right, they have to run extra after practice when they miss study hall. I mean, come on, give me a break. This is not professional football. These guys aren't getting paid to play here. They're representing you all. You should be proud and happy to support them and appreciate what they do and have some gratitude. And you know what else? Nobody wants to win worse than they do. Not me, not you. I don't care what kind of fan you are. Nobody wants to win more than the players that play. For all you self-absorbed folks out there that can't look past your own self. Now, I get that the majority of that rant was about the players, right? But think about how he started and ended that. For all of you self-absorbed people out there, for all of you fans, quote-unquote. And how he started it, too. When he got to Alabama, they were just happy to win a game. Expectations of college football programs who have reached a certain level of success get so completely out of whack. I get it. We have an extra passion and love in in college sports, particularly because we, in a lot of cases, spent thousands of dollars to go there. We spent four years, four years of your most, you know, developmental life-changing experiences, all, all this stuff, all this part of life, that you spent there, that you look back with such fond memories of, we have such an emotional tie to that school, to that place, to those colors, that it completely clouds our judgment. Okay, expectations in life are not bad, but it's important to manage them. It's important to recognize when you're being over the top, when you're being dramatic. Because Just like Nick Saban said, this is about the fucking players. This isn't about Jim Bob in Oklahoma who's pissed because Lincoln Riley's a traitor. No, he's not. 
is getting paid millions of dollars to go somewhere else. He brought you a ton of success. And guess what? You're Oklahoma. You're going to go out and you're going to get another awesome coach. The people I've seen online tweeting about, he talked to all of these players face-to-face. These new recruits coming up told him he was going to be the head coach at Oklahoma for the long run. How, How sick is that? What do you think the guy you're hiring is going to do? Do you not understand that this is how college football works? This isn't complicated. You're moving to the SEC. It's going to be significantly harder for him to win there. He's 38. He will one day be an NFL head coach. He wanted to go somewhere else. And you know what? That's okay. It's okay that he left. Let me tell you this, Oklahoma fans. Would you rather be TCU? You have the greatest coach, the coach that built this program, Gary Patterson, from nothing into a legitimate Power Five team, a team that's finished in the top six in the college football playoff era. The first year of the playoff, Baylor, TCU, they finished 5 6. And now they have to move on from that guy and get excited over Sonny Dykes. Like Sonny Dykes is a good coach. He's always left every program he's ever gone to. He's left better than he found it. He's got one division slash conference championship in his career. He's only seven games above 500 in his career as a head coach. Could he be awesome at TCU? Sure. Perspective. Every time I was a kid and I was being dramatic and I would cry about something, cry about the Eagles losing, cry about the Flyers losing, crying is my favorite you know, person on Survivor got voted out. My mom would always tell me, just like this, perspective. It's okay. No matter how pissed off you are as a fan, you're not as pissed or as hurt as the players in the locker room. And now that we've actually somewhat evened, barely, I'm not even going to say even, we've at least given the players a little bit of power, just, just, just a skosh of power, so now they can transfer somebody somewhere without penalty. You don't even have to feel as terribly for the players. I get it. It sucks. If you want to go play for Lincoln Riley, you can. But just like a ton of players from Buffalo transferred to Kansas after Lance Leipold left, those players are probably going to leave Oklahoma and go to USC. There's not ever, not all of them, but there's going to be some. I don't know what's going to happen with Caleb Williams. If you're an Oklahoma fan, does it suck? Sure. But how about recognizing that you have won, you've done nothing but win for over 20 straight years. Alabama fans, you've done nothing but win since 2009, 2008, when Nick Saban got there. Ohio State fans, you've done nothing but win. Since 2002, when you won the national championship on a bullshit pass interference call that came in late against one of the greatest college football teams of all time in Miami. Keep the fucking perspective. It's okay. I promise. It'll all be okay. All right, quick break. Come back. Get into the NFL stuff. We'll touch on some of the games. But again, 
This is more of a state of the union, state of the league, a grab bag. This is not, I'm not going through every, all the games because at this point, I don't know what good it's doing. Because again, for all the great stuff that we're seeing with all of this parody in college football, that's created this unbelievable season. We're seeing the same thing in the NFL, but it doesn't feel as good. We're going to dive into that next. The NFL week is in the books. Well, still got Monday night. Not by the time you're listening to this, but for us, for me, at least recording this, we still got Monday night. Washington football team hosting the Seattle Seahawks. I don't even know how watchable this game is, but you know what? It's football. And even though I'm about to describe why the NFL is struggling a little bit this year, despite there being some phenomenal moments, I will watch the game. Because I'll tell you what, Monday Night Football right now, you can pick any day, any day in the spring and say, hey, do you want to watch Monday Night Football right now? I would say yes. (laughs) Because it is football at the end of the day. And I, I love football as much as anything. So I will continue to enjoy it, even though this season's been weird. All right? We don't know anything. We don't nothing. Nothing at all. You can pick any team in the NFL you want. And I'll be able to poke holes into why you can't trust them. Can you trust any team fully? No, absolutely not. Look at the conference standings right now. The AFC, Baltimore is your one seed. Baltimore, after after Sunday night, Baltimore is the one seed in the AFC. Then you have the New England Patriots. Patriots have been unbelievable. They've won six straight games. They were two and four. They got a rookie quarterback. And Kendrick Bourne's been awesome. I think he's been, he's far more talented than any of us gave him credit for. He was the third man on that San Francisco roster. He's been really good. You still have Aguilar, all right? Anything can happen to Hunter Henry. And the defense has been great, no question. If there's a team you can trust the most, Somehow, some way, it is the New England Patriots. But the team you trust the most has a rookie quarterback. That is saying a lot about where we stand right now in the NFL. Tennessee Titans, absolutely cannot trust them. Kansas City, we should be able to trust them. Defense has looked better. And I would have them probably number two behind New England. But at any moment, I feel like that defense can collapse and go back to what they were for the majority of this season. Mahomes still only has Hill and Kelsey, which I get is, you know, it's like saying, yeah, but, you know, all I have is my brand new Ford F-150 and my Mustang. Like, I don't have a Ferrari. And maybe that's not even a good analogy because, you know, those two guys are Ferraris. But there's, there's there's nothing underneath, you know what I mean? Like, it's just those two guys. And if defenses continue to kind of force Mahomes to struggle, whom, again, Mahomes has been inconsistent all year. And it looks like they've turned a, chan- a, a corner, but they don't have a running back. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, he's coming back after they had their bye this week. He should help. But again, he's been underwhelming in his first year and a half in the NFL. And you have the Cincinnati Bengals. You trust the Bengals? I love Joe Burrow. Sure, shit, don't trust the Bengals. They're a young team. They're continuing to get better. I still think the Bengals could end up being a sneaky team to make a run, kind of like the Bills last year. 
or maybe two years ago when the Bills actually got into the playoffs for the first time in however many years it had been. But it's still Joe Burrow. You're still relying on a rookie in Jamar Chase. T. Higgins is still kind of unproven. The defense definitely is unproven. And, oh, yeah, the Bengals lost to the Jets. Titans, Bengals, any team that's lost to the Jets, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm going to put an ounce of skepticism next to your name. Buffalo Bills, no way. Absolutely cannot trust the Buffalo Bills. After the way they got shellacked last weekend against the Colts. And, yeah, they beat the Saints. The Saints aren't a good football team. They don't, the, Trevor Simeon's their starting quarterback. The run defense has not been the same as it was, especially in the first few weeks. They have no wide receivers. The Saints are, uh, they're not good. Saints are probably going to finish with like maybe six wins. And then you get down to your Broncos, Raiders, Colts. None of those teams do you trust. So it's like, okay, let's go to the NFC, Arizona Cardinals. I can't trust that Kyler Murray's going to be there when it matters. Every year since he's been in the league, it's been the same storyline. Injured, misses a month, team drops, comes back, looks about 80 to 80% of himself, roughly. But it's not quite the same as it looked in the beginning. The defense has looked awesome at times. They're a plus 108 point differential on the season. But they also got smacked by the Carolina Panthers. And I know that Kyler Murray wasn't in that game. D-Hop wasn't in that game. It was Colt McCoy. But those guys don't play defense. And the Carolina Panthers and Cam Newton and P.J. Walker put up 30 on you. I like Arizona. I still don't fully trust them because I do not trust that Kyler Murray is going to be there when it matters. And hopefully he comes back after their bye this week and is healthy and D-Hop's healthy and they can make a run. But you know what? I don't, I don't know. What happens if Kyler takes one other weird hit towards his ankle? Same spot. The team you can probably trust the most in the entire NFL are the Green Bay Packers. They just beat the crap out of the Rams this weekend. Aaron Rodgers, reigning MVP. Probably the favorite in the clubhouse to win the MVP, but again, he pissed off everybody in NFL media, anybody with a vote. Is, Russell, is, is Aaron Rodgers going to win the MVP? Probably not, though he probably deserves to. They're on their third string left tackle, who admittedly played well on Sunday. But Aaron Rodgers took a lot of hits. There was one deep ball he threw out of bounds where he had one guy coming at his leg kind of rolled up on the back of him because his left tackle got bull rushed into him. And then he got hit from the other side as the pocket was collapsing and just got absolutely sandwiched. Aaron Rodgers, 37. Do, do we trust Green Bay? Not to mention the history of Green Bay coming up short in NFC championship games. Right, it's the one thing that NFC North fans hold on to is the fact that Aaron Rodgers constantly not that he chokes, but that the team chokes in NFC championship games. So do we fully trust the Packers? Probably the most, but not quite yet. We say, well, Jeff, but Tom Brady, Tampa Bay, you got to trust them. I trust them as much as the Packers, if not maybe a little bit more because of Tom Brady, and that is it. 
the, the fact that he came back and beat the Colts yesterday was wildly impressive. It was the best game Tampa Bay's played all year. And I've been saying this all season. I expected Tampa Bay to lose four to five games this season and to still be a threat in the playoffs. I think I had them at 12 and five preseason. That defense is not the defense of last year. Injuries play a big part of it. But Devin White got knocked out of that game early. All right. Devin White, if he's not in the lineup, you can run on him. Jonathan Taylor proved it. And the Colts, for whatever reason, when they were up 10 in the third quarter, didn't want to run the ball. But Carson Wentz, who has been as game manager as game manager gets this season, threw for 300 yards and three touchdowns against you. Now, you forced two interceptions. Nice. But Antoine Winfield Jr., he's been in and out of the lineup. Carlton Davis, he's been in and out of the lineup. You're relying on Richard Sherman, who also, by the way, was out of the lineup and has been hurt. When you sign Richard Sherman off the street, that says a lot about where your secondary is at. All right, so this isn't the same Tampa Bay Bucks defense we've seen a year ago. Now, I will once again say, I trust Tampa Bay as much, if not more, than any other team in football. Green Bay, Tampa Bay would be the two teams that I trust the most in all of the NFL, but I can still point out reasons why you can't trust the Cowboys. They've lost three out of the last four. Dak has looked not great, though, again, limited receivers, injury, COVID stuff with Amari Cooper. There's been a lot of moving parts and a lot of stuff that's kept the Cowboys kind of out of the mix for a little while. They get the mini buy. We'll see how they look when they come back. But the defense, again, those guys don't play defense. Dak doesn't play defense. C.D. Lamb, Amari Cooper, Zeke Elliott, those guys aren't on defense. They got lit up by basic running plays. Like I was listening to a breakdown by Trent Dilfer talking about the, the, the run defense in the zone running scheme that the Raiders were using on Thanksgiving. That defense is high school level defense. And not to say that like the scheme was, no, it's like your responsibilities in that are the same responsibilities as high school defenses. And the Cowboys weren't coached up to do it. The Rams Sure, shit, don't trust them after the last three weeks. The Niners, and then that, that's like a real steep drop, right? You got the Niners, Vikings, Falcons, Saints, Eagles, Panthers, Washington, Giants. I mean, there's no one you can trust in all the NFL. And I'll even go another step for, further and say, what quarterbacks do you trust? Because for me right now, implicitly, wholeheartedly, it's two, Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady. And that might sound moronic. That might sound like, Jeff, what, what in the hell are you talking about? How can you not say Patrick Mahomes? Dude's been unbelievable. Yeah, he's been unbelievable since the day he came in. And that's exactly the point. Because no one is perfect. Right? Even when you're awesome the day you come in. Which, for what Mahomes did, is, again, that run since he took over – this is only his fourth season starting as the quarterback. First season, they go to the AFC Championship games game and they lose to the Patriots. Second season, they go to the AFC Championship game, they go to the Super Bowl, and they win the damn thing. Third season, they go to the AFC Championship, they go to the Super Bowl, and they lose to Tom Brady. He's only four years in. 
every quarterback, every player, every great professional athlete ever has hurdles, has mountains to climb, has down years. But because Patrick Mahomes has never done, has never shown that in his career, a down year for him means that the sky is falling and he's some, you know, he's not the guy. No, he, he is just as talented. He's just as good. But this, is, this has not been a good year for him. The numbers bear that out. Yeah, he's still been able to throw for a million yards, but they don't have any running game. And they've been losing in games and they've had to throw the ball. He's turned the ball over way more. He's missed open throws significantly more. He's holding on to the ball way longer than he needs to. And the biggest indictment of all this is he's not been able to connect on the deep ball at all this season. The only the last deep ball I remember Patrick Holmes throwing this season for a touchdown was week four when they played the Eagles, whatever week that was. And so I love Patrick Mahomes, and in the playoffs, I'm still going to not want to bet against them. But I'm not going to sit here and say that I fully trust him this year yet. He's earned the respect. And if you want to say, hey, he's earned the benefit of the doubt, sure, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. But I'm not 100% based off of the version of him we've seen this year. And that's not to say that he's not amazing. That's not to say that he's not going to end up being a potential all-time great. I'm just pointing out that coming in to the NFL and being as good as he's been since the start of the season, since the start of his career, it's borderline unprecedented. So it's okay if he has a down year. And it's also okay to say, I just don't trust him entirely. Dak, I still think Dak is a top five quarterback in the NFL when we're talking about the younger guys for the future. If we're talking about just this season, yes, you're going to have Rodgers, you're going to have Brady, probably going to have Russell Wilson ahead of them if you're picking guys to win one season right now. But if you're talking about guys for the next 10 years, Dak, to me, is in that top five group. But he's also not been good. He's, he made some really impressive throws this past week. And I know they lost to the Raiders. But I don't necessarily blame Dak. I also don't necessarily think that Dak is elite in terms of, like, unbelievable arm strength like Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes. Unbelievable IQ like Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers, right? He's like 80 to 90% of those things for those guys. He's pretty good or really good at a lot of different things at playing quarterback, which means he's reliable. But he's also played in one playoff game in his career. Two, I think it might have been two when they lost to the, the Rams the year that the Rams went on to go to the Super Bowl. So I think he's played in two. He's one and one. We've not seen him go on and, and, and lead a team through a playoff run. So, I, again, I'm not giving him the benefit of the doubt yet. Matthew Stafford has never won a playoff game in his career. And then you go down the rest of the teams in the, in the NFC that are in contention. You can say Russell Wilson, but Russ, the Seahawks are in second or second to last place in the NFC. The only team with a worse record than the Seahawks are the Detroit Lions. So, all right, let's go to the AFC. Lamar Jackson. No, I don't trust Lamar Jackson. Historically, what we've seen from him in the playoffs has not been great. But even put that aside, what he did just last night against the Cleveland Browns at home 
was terrible. We have three interceptions and a quarter in the second quarter alone finished with four. You can't trust that guy. Mac Jones is a rookie. I like Mac Jones. I don't trust him. I don't trust him. Could he be the first like, true rookie quarterback to go lead a team to the Super Bowl? Maybe. Maybe Belichick is that brilliant and unbelievable as a coach because kind of breaking news. Yeah, he is. He kind of is that good. But again, I'm not going to sit here and say that I trust him. Tannehill, no. Joe Burrow, no. Josh Allen. Josh Allen has regressed. Has he still been really good at certain moments this year? No question. Has he still had jaw-dropping plays, jaw-dropping throws? Do I still believe in him as a long-term quarterback option? I do. But similarly to Mahomes, just minus the hardware, I'm, you know, pulling myself back on the Josh Allen train a little bit for, for this year, right now, for this playoff run. No, I don't trust him. So when we're talking about what these playoffs are going to look like, and we're two-thirds of the way through the season. This was week 12. There's 18 weeks. We got six weeks of the regular season left, and then we hit the playoffs. What happens over these six weeks might change a lot of our minds, but if it's anything like what we've seen to this point, there are – to me, there's one team you can trust. Like, really trust. Like, I believe wholeheartedly, barring injury – that the Green Bay Packers will be one of the final four teams in the playoffs. They will be in the NFC Championship game. Other than that, I have no freaking clue. You know, if the Colts had pulled that game out and they were all of a sudden seven and five, only a game behind Tennessee, and they would have closed the gap like that, I would have said, well, the Colts probably will steal that division. But Tennessee, now they've lost two in a row. And the Colts losing that game, there's still a two-game gap. And, and Tennessee's remaining schedule is significantly easier now that they played the Patriots, the third easiest in the NFL. Actually, no, it's the easiest in the NFL. Apologies. Eagles are the second easiest. And I think the cheat, no, not the Chiefs. I forget who the, the third easiest is. But one of the easiest remaining schedules. So even without Derrick Henry, and if the Titans get Derrick Henry back, cool. But Liz Frank injuries in your foot, they take a long time to heal. Like months. And so whatever version of Derrick Henry that would come back for a playoff run is not going to be full strength Derrick Henry. This whole season has been as unpredictable as any that I can ever remember in, in NFL history, right? The Bills and the Pats are number one and number two. The Pats are number one. Bills are number two in point differential. Pats are plus 146. Bills are plus 144. The Bills are seven and four. The Pats are eight and four. Those point differentials, we should be talking about like 10 and two teams, not eight and four. The Atlanta Falcons, which if the season were to end right now, would be one spot out of the playoff picture. Actually, let me pull up the playoff calculator here. 
Yes, they'd be one spot out behind the Minnesota Falcons. Do you know what the point differential is for the Atlanta Falcons? It's honestly astonishing. They're minus 103. That puts them as sixth worst in the NFL. And yet they're a game out of the playoffs. That has been, that, that's such a perfect example as to how fucked up this NFL season has been. And it goes back to what I teased. What I teased before the break was we have parity in college football and it's led to one of the most exciting and one of the greatest college football seasons we've had in a long time. And now we have parity in the NFL and people seem to be not loving it so much. I mean, the ratings are great. People are still talking about it. But every single time I turn on a podcast or, or sports talk radio or ESPN, it's, I don't know who's good, man. I just, I, every week, it's kind of frustrating. People are gambling now. I don't know who to bet on. Because every single week, I'm getting teams wrong. Because one week, the Bills look like the best team in the NFL. And the next week, they're getting blown out by 30. One week, the Bengals blow out the Baltimore Ravens by 40. And then the next week, they lose by 40 to the Cleveland Browns. It sounds like it's being met with more frustration than appreciation for the fact that this is just kind of crazy. And I think a, a part of that as well is the fact that the games themselves have not been super entertaining. Like the games this weekend, with the exception of the Colts and the Bucks game, kind of sucked across the board. I mean, the Packers, the Packers game, we all were, the Packers and Rams, we're thinking, man, this is going to be an awesome game. I can't wait to watch this. Eh, kind of sucked. Vikings 49ers looked like it was going to be a duel. It's 14-14 at halftime. First play in the second half, Kirk Cousins throws an interception. Niners go down and – or sorry, the Niners get the ball. They go down and score a touchdown. Kick it off to the Vikings. Vikings get the ball. First play, boom, interception. Niners go down and score again. I went to go take a piss. I came back after grabbing a beer, and the 14-14 game was 28-14, and there was 12 minutes left in the third quarter still. I couldn't believe it. The games this year have not been great. And even the Sunday night games, even though they've been crazy, the primetime games have been crazy. I wouldn't call it good. Like the Browns and Ravens game last night was drunk off of its ass. That's like your alcoholic uncle or, or stepfather. <laughs> like, like that's how drunk that game was. It was borderline unwatchable. But if you're a football junkie, you're going to sit down and watch it, which is what I did. And what millions and millions and millions of people around the country we're also doing. But why is it the NFL that feels less exciting with all this parody? But meanwhile, college football is so amazing. We've noticed the same thing in the NBA. When the NBA ratings dropped, it was the season after Kevin Durant left the Golden State Warriors and Clay Thompson tore his Achilles or his ACL, which everyone came first, and joined Brooklyn. Kevin Durant also had torn his Achilles, but we had years, years and years of this team that everybody was trying to beat in Golden State. Everybody wanted to beat the Warriors and you had the LeBron Cavs and people say, it, you know, oh, it's the same two teams every single year. But guess what? The ratings were through the roof. Because when you have a death star, right, you have the enemy the team that everybody else wants to bring down. This is why dynasties are good for sports. People say all the time, 
Dynasty, oh, I hate dynasties. I hate when Alabama does. I hate, I hate when the Golden State Warriors are this good. I hate the Yankees when they're, you know, which the Yankees actually haven't been relevant in over a decade, so I don't know why I use them. But you get the point. Teams hate, fans claim to hate dynasties, but you watch because you want to watch them lose. I was watching the match, the Brooks Kepka versus Bryson DeChambeau match, which Brooks Kepka, Kepka absolutely dominated when I was home this weekend. I'm sitting there, my dad's sitting on the couch, and my dad knows, you know, doesn't really pay attention to golf. He's not a huge golf guy. And I'm sitting there, and I'm basically talking to myself, trying to explain to my dad because he's not really paying attention to <laughs> what I'm saying. But I just kind of keep rambling about how much I hate Bryson DeChambeau. And I think he asked me three different times, why are you watching it then? I said, because Brooks is kicking his ass. And I would complain or say something in my breath. And my dad would be like, yeah, but you're still watching. I'm like, yeah, because I want to see him lose. It's the same thing. And when the Bucks look like, you know, at one point they were six and four or they're six and three. Now they're up to eight and three. Right. Or six and two. And now they're up to eight and three, whatever. They were, but when, when teams like that are struggling, when the Chiefs are struggling, People don't know who to hate. And I'm not talking about, you know, diehard fans. I'm talking about casual fans. Casual NBA fans knew who Steph Curry and Kevin Durant and the Warriors were. Just like they knew who Tom Brady and the Patriots were. Because you always wanted that team to lose. Because they're so good and you're so sick of it. It created an emotional reaction. And for the better part of this year, we haven't had that. And it seems to be a pro sports specific thing because of the playoff models. Models where everybody gets in. Everybody's going to have a shot. You go nine and seven in the regular season, but you won the playoff, but you won your division like the Giants in 2010, whatever year that was. You can still go on and win the Super Bowl. You're the Atlanta Braves. You win 88 games you can still go on and win the World Series like we saw this year, which I argue is better for sports because you always want to have a team to root against. You always want to believe that your team has a shot. So then why is it that when college football has all this parity that we love it even more? And it's because this is the argument that Vito has made on the pod several different times, which is that every game should mean something. When the criteria to be able to compete for a national championship or a Super Bowl or, or whatever the sports championship is, the pinnacle, when the margin of error, error is as small as it is in college football, every game matters. Now, for the most part, every single college football season we've had for the better part of the last decade has been, right, Clemson, Alabama, Ohio State. One year we had Florida State in there. But other than that, one year we have LSU. Other than that, it's those, those are the three teams. You're going to throw in Oklahoma because Oklahoma's been to the playoffs so many times. You're going to throw in Georgia because they've been good over that stretch. Every single year, that's what we've had. We've had the opposite of parity. And then we lost all these great quarterbacks. Trevor Lawrence is gone. Justin Fields is gone. Mac Jones and Tua and that whole era is gone. Jalen Hurts is gone. And no one, everyone looked around like John Travolta in Pulp Fiction, like who's, who's good. Now I'll say this, Georgia, in my opinion, has 
been overlooked in all of this madness because Georgia is significantly better than every other team in college football. If Alabama's offensive line was getting worked by Auburn's defensive line, wait till you see what happens when Jordan Davis starts coming down. Because Alabama is going to struggle significantly. And yeah, Michigan, they're a great story. Shea Patterson's going to get the shit kicked out of him. And I love Cincinnati. We know I love Cincinnati. Cincinnati going up against Georgia. I don't know how well that offense is going to move the ball. Now, the defense might keep a minute. I believe that. I believe Cincinnati's defense can hang with Georgia's offense because Georgia's offense isn't that great. It's good. It's It's way better than they've gotten credit for. But Cincinnati's defense is legit. They have two NFL draft picks on the defensive line alone. They got another two in the secondary playing outside corner. They can hang with just about any offense they're going to face in the college football playoffs scenario, whether that's Georgia, Michigan, Notre Dame potentially again, or Oklahoma State. But again, the reason we care and the reason all of this college football season has been so awesome, the reason Saturday was so awesome, the reason that all these games is because Michigan beating Ohio State meant that Ohio State was out. In a 12-team playoff, all of this parity wouldn't matter because you're like, all right, we'll, we'll find out once the playoffs get here. Now, I still am a proponent of a 12-team playoff because the only other year we've had similar to this in the last 20 was 2007. And people talk about that year with such a fondness because of how chaotic it was. And expanding means that when we have parity, you might lose this, but this year is the outlier, which has always been my argument, right? We're going to have years where parity exists, but guess what? More years, more often than not, like what do you think is going to happen next year for Alabama? When you got Bryce Young coming back another year experienced and they get another level of recruits and their defense, who's going to lose a couple guys like Will Anderson, but they still have young guys on there. Their offensive line is young. Ohio State, same thing. Yeah, they're going to lose two, three wide receivers this year, but they have a whole nother recruiting class. Marvin Harrison Jr. hasn't even been able to sniff the field this year, and he was the number one wide receiver recruit coming out in college. All of the big boys are coming back, which is why I say enjoy the insanity and the chaos and this craziness while we have it now. Because while we have it and it's in front of us, it's not going to be here this time next year, which is why we will need to eventually expand it which will be a good thing. And so while I'm on this diatribe here and I'm ranting and raving and going all off and and all these things about college football, NFL, the biggest point I can make in all this is try to appreciate it for what it is in both circumstances. When we sit down to watch the NFL each week, look at it from the perspective of, because there's so much parity, every game does matter. The Eagles losing this week. If the Eagles had won, they'd be in the playoff right now. They'd be in the playoffs. They'd be the seven seed. And if the Eagle and and because the Eagles lost, they drop all the way down to like nine. Actually, I think it might even be ten, which is going to make it that much more difficult. So every game from here on out in this last third of the season in the NFL, it matters. 
So treat it like it matters as a fan, as a football fan for your team, but for the NFL as a whole, appreciate it. And on the college football side, acknowledge that what we have right now is a special year. It's very possible that by the end of the season, if more chaos happens, if Alabama does somehow beat Georgia this weekend, if Cincinnati does make the playoffs, if Michigan somehow pulls off an upset and wins a national title, if any of those things happen, we're going to talk about 2021 just like we talked about 2007 because it is an outlier. So for both college football and the NFL, take a moment to just appreciate it. Because I'll be honest, I was disappointed with the games on Sunday. I had a moment, I'm like, man, I just kind of want to go upstairs and watch a show, turn on Netflix, do something. Because it kind of sucked. But the more I thought about it, the more I realized that the difference here isn't all that much. Every game is going to matter from here on out in the NFL, whether you like it or you don't. And it might be frustrating that we don't know who the best teams are, who you can trust, who you can't. It just kind of makes it more exciting. So flip on that mindset. And in college football, just appreciate it. Because this shit's been nuts. <laughs> it's been absolutely bonkers. And I've loved it. And the two playoffs formats, whatever, they're different. I get it. But I can say firmly that for most football fans, by the time you hit April and May, you'd give anything to watch Baker Mayfield and Lamar Jackson throw seven interceptions combined. So let's thank God we have it while it's here. Um, I was going to go a little bit through some of the games, and I'll say this. The Bucks colts game was awesome. It was very fun. You don't need me breaking down anything there. And it's been a lot of just me here over the last couple of weeks. So that's all we're going to do on the pod today. Uh, Scotty should be back on Thursday. And that interview with my man, EJ Manuel, should be coming out soon as well thank you everybody for listening uh in a week that was all about thanks and being thankful and appreciative of the things we have in our life uh, i was very very appreciative to have this outlet to have this platform to have people who are actually invested and actually enjoy listening to the pod um because i i know i speak for scotty and vito when i say this as well it is almost always one of the highlights of the week for us. It's never, oh man, I got to hop on and do this pod. No, it's always, I get to do this. And uh, I've said that about my career before as well. And just feel very blessed and thankful. As my grandmother would say, my cup runneth over. And uh, this is no exception to that. So have a wonderful week. We will get back to picks and maybe a little bit more of a normal pod and pod schedule on Friday's pod. And as always, take it fucking easy.